Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sometimes life can feel like a pressure cooker. From our work life to our personal lives and relationships, there's so much to balance. It's easy to feel weighed down when you're experiencing anxiety, stress, or sadness. But guess what? You're not alone. You may not know it now, but support is all around you. No matter where you are, all you need to do is ask. Let us help find you a community at churchescare.com. Churches are communities of care. Go to C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S-Care.com to explore the possibilities. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Welcome everyone to Too Good To Be True, and thank you to all the listeners. Are you ready for a surprising show about the Voynich Manuscript and other mysterious writings? Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject, then research it. Based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise on any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research and the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not good with pronouncing names. We apologize. And finally, neither of us have expertise in investigating secret writings, nor in decoding unknown texts. If we have misstated anything, we apologize in advance. Thank you, Justina, for letting me, the, letting me choose the subject of the Voynich Manuscript and other mysterious writings. We're going to discuss the Voynich Manuscript, the Ronga Ronga writing, the Thule Papyrus, and the Phaistos Disc. Why did you choose the Voynich Manuscript as the first subject, and what is it? I, I chose the subject because the Voynich Manuscript looks so neat, and it appears that a lot of work went into creating it. It's a book rather than a manuscript with lots of illustrations. Everything is handwritten, but nobody has been able to translate it. It is now in a Yale University library. There are 240 pages, but some of the pages are missing. Apparently, there were 272 pages originally. It is well worth looking up on the internet. The illustrations are, in my mind, very artistic. 
A book about the manuscript was published just this year by Dr. Stephen Skinner and includes a copy of every page of the original. So it's a book with pictures. What is it about? The marketing material for Stephen Skinner's book includes the following paragraph, quote, since its creation in the first half of the 15th century, the Voynich manuscript has fascinated and obsessed students of the esoteric, of magic and of alchemy. Yet to date, no one has managed to crack its code. It's, it truly is one of a kind, the only book in existence that has been written in its particular language and alphabet, a language that no one can read, unquote. We don't know what it's about, except that of more than 200 illustrations, half are uh, herbal. The remainder is related to pharmaceutical, biological and astronomical subject matter. How did the book get its name? It's named after a Polish book dealer, uh, Wilfred Wojnicz, who purchased the manuscript in 1912. How did it get into a Yale University library? It was donated by an Austrian book dealer in 1969. Apparently, it's been at Yale University for almost 50 years, and they haven't provided a translation, but have put scanned copies of it on the internet. I don't think anyone can figure it out well enough to provide a translation. Here is a quote from Wikipedia, quote, The Voynich manuscript has been studied by many professional and amateur cryptographers, including American and British codebreakers from both World War I and World War II. No one has yet demonstrably deciphered the text, and it's become a famous case in the history of cryptography. The mystery of the meaning and the origin of the manuscript has excited the popular imagination, making the manuscript the subject of novels and speculation. None of the many hypotheses proposed over the last hundred years has yet been independently verified." Unquote. So what are the theories about the book? There's dozens of them, including that it's a hoax. I'll, I'll mention a few. It's a message from extraterrestrial beings. It's an encyclopedia of nature. It's a 16th century contract, contract and it's a hoax. Why don't you start with the theory of the message from extraterrestrial beings? It contains language found nowhere else on the planet and that the pages contain unknown star charts. Possibly an extraterrestrial wrote it and then the book remained on the planet. The ink on the vellum or animal skin paper it is written on has been carbon dated to the early 15th century. So it was written in the 1400s. The printing press would have just been invented hundreds of years before then. That suggests the idea was just to produce only one book, but maybe copies could have been made much later in the future. But we'll have to continue with the next theory that it's a nature encyclopedia after this short break. And don't forget to go like and follow us on Facebook. including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 
401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. too good to be true and before the break we were talking about the Voynich manuscripts and some possible translations or explanations about what it's about so the next theory is that it's actually a nature encyclopedia can you tell us a little bit about this dad yeah here is a quote from professor Stephen Bax professor of applied linguistics at the University of Bedfordshire quote the evidence shows that the manuscript is not a hoax and is probably an explanatory treatise on nature. The script was possibly devised to encode a previous unwritten language or dialect, perhaps by a small community, which later, later died out or disappeared." Unquote. But if you were going to write an encyclopedia, you would want to inform people, probably meaning you would want to produce lots of copies. Well, let's move on to the idea that it's a 16th century contract. This is interesting because the theory involves Dr. John Dee, a mystic and astrologer from the court of Elizabeth I of England. A colleague of Dee's, Edward Kelly, a noted fraudster, was supposed to have written the book with Dee selling it for a profit. This theory doesn't fit in with the carbon dating as John Dee lived in the 15 to 1600s. Let's move on to the hoax, but if it had been carbon dated to the early 15th century, it must have been a very clever hoax. That seemed to be accounted for by Stephen Worrell, a journalist for the BBC, who inspected the book in 2014. He made the following comments, quote, I believe the manuscript is a forgery by Wilfred Voynich himself. One of the most common tropes in the history of forgery is that a rare book dealer discovering previous unknown manuscripts. Voynich is known to have had just the magic touch is also said to have acquired a large supply of vellum and, had, and to have used his knowledge of chemistry gained at the University of Moscow to, to replicate medi medieval inks and pigments." Unquote. I had to look up the word tropes. I think it means things that occur a lot. That's interesting and plausible, but I would have expected that Yale University would have done its homework on the book before accepting it, even if it was donated. Having some missing pages might suggest that the manuscript is authentic. If you were to create a forgery, why have missing pages? Is there anything else we should know about the book? Yes, Professor Stephen Bax, who we had mentioned earlier, claimed in 2014 that he had deciphered 14 characters of the script and can read a few items of text. This includes the words for coriander, hellebore and juniper, next to drawings of the plants. He also claims that he, he's also identified the word for Taurus, written beside an illustration of Pleiades, a star cluster in the constellation Taurus. If there is some translation, assuming it is correct, then that suggests that the book is not a hoax. Why go to all the trouble of coding up words just for a joke? If you were that smart, probably you could have made much more profitable use of your time. Is there anything else known about the Voynich manuscript? There's an article from the Russia Beyond website dated April the 20th of this year. Mathematicians at the Russia Acad Russian Academy of Sciences Institute of Applied Mathematics believe they are some way to crack in the code. Here is a quote from the Russia Beyond website. Quote, after conducting a statistical analysis of the text, Russian experts believe it's encrypted in the following way. Vowels and spaces are removed from the text. The collection of symbols is united in a new text, bestrewed with spaces beforehand. They estimate that about 60% of the text is written in English or German, and, other and the other part in one of the Romance languages, possibly Italian or Spanish, or even Latin. So I don't know why understanding the text can be important today, because judging by the drawings, it explains in what part of the year you need to sow poppy seed in order to later obtain opium, said the researcher's co-author, Yuri Orlov, adding that it's impossible to restore the entire text without vowels because there are various interpretations of the most important words, unquote. So it looks like we are not getting a translation anytime soon. 
But what other non-translatable mysterious writings are there in the world? There are the mysterious Ronga Ronga writing of Easter Island. You've been trying to talk about Easter Island for months. So that's why we're talking about mysterious writings? That's not true. It all started with the Voynich manuscript and there had to be other similar writings that can't be translated. It just so happens there is the Ronga Ronga writing, which ha just happens to have been found on Easter Island. Anyway, who doesn't like saying the word Ronga Ronga? I will quote from the Ancient Origins website. Quote, during the 19th century, ancient artifacts containing a set of etched symbols were discovered on the world-renowned Easter Island, a small remote island located a few thousand miles west of South America and famous for the hundreds of giant monolithic anthropomorphic statues called Moai. The intricate designs appear to be glyphs or a form of writing, but the meaning of the glyphs has never been deciphered. Some believe that decoding the mysterious writing could offer answers into what, what caused the collapse of the ancient Easter Island civilization. The Ronga Ronga writing was first discovered by Eugene Irod, a lame friar of the Roman Catholic Church who went to Easter Island as a missionary on January the 2nd, 1864, unquote. I looked up the word anthropomorphic. It means having human-like characteristics. Uh, a glyph is a sculptured figure or relief carving. What were the glyphs carved into? They were written on irregularly shaped wooden tablets. Then they can't be very old. Otherwise, they would have rotted away being made of wood. Here's a quote from the website Omni Omniglot. Quote, it is known that when Ronga Ronga was invented or by whom, sorry, I'll start that again. It is not known when Ronga Ronga was invented or by whom. A few of the wooden tablets with inscriptions in have been dated and the oldest dates back to the early 17th century. Ronga Ronga was used until the 1860s after which knowledge of the script was lost. However, during the 1880s, a group of elders devised a version of the script called Tao to decorate carvings to make them more valuable, unquote. But the Ancient Origins website, which we mentioned earlier, suggests the tablets are older. Here's a quote from that source. Quote, the age of the tablets is unknown, as very little direct dating has been done, but they are believed to have originated around the 13th century, around the same time as forest clearing. However, this is merely speculative as the inhabitants of Easter Island may have felled a small number of trees for the specific purpose of creating the wooden tablets. One glyph appears to resemble a palm tree and is thought to be the Easter Island palm, which disappeared from the island's pollen record in 1650, suggesting the script must be at least that old." Unquote. A while ago, I read, the end of, uh, I read about the end of the civilization, civilization on Easter Island because of changes in ecology suggested by the book Collapse by Jared Diamond. Losing the palm trees must have been a sad event. So where are the tablets kept now? Is it, it is a long way to go see them at Easter Island. Also, what does Rongo Rongo mean? Here's another quote from the Omniglot website. Quote, they are now in a museum and private collections around the world. Only half the texts are in good condition and are believed to be authentic. According to oral tradition, the script was also written on banana leaves with obsidian flakes or small shark teeth. However, no examples survive. The, wrong, the name Ronga Ronga means to recite, to declaim, to chant out in Rapu Nui, the native language of Easter Island." Unquote. So what are obsidian flakes? They are flakes of volcanic glass that can have very sharp edges. There's plenty of volcanic material on Easter Island. You haven't explained what the glyphs look like. Here's another quote from the Ancient Origins website. Quote, the glyphs are written in between lines that run across the tablets. Some tablets are fluted with inscriptions falling within the channels created by the fluting. The Rongo Rongo images are shaped like humans, animals, plants and geometric forms. Every symbol that contains a head is oriented with the head facing up and either facing forward or profiling to the right. Each symbol is approximately one centimeter high." Unquote. So that means the symbols are about four tenths of an inch high. 
What do experts think that these tablets are supposed to communicate? I think the experts were the people who wrote the tablets. Here's a quote from Wikipedia. Quote, there have been numerous attempts to decipher the Rongo Rongo script of Easter Island since its discovery in the late 19th century. As with most undeciphered scripts, many of the proposals have been fanciful. Apart from a portion of one tablet, which has been shown to deal with a lunar calendar, none of the texts are understood, and even the calendar cannot, act, cannot actually be read." Unquote. That all sounds a bit bleak. We have time for some more mysterious writings, hopefully with some translation. Where are the next mysterious writings from? The story of the Thule papyrus starts in Cairo. Uh, there are translations this time. Okay, so now you've gone from Easter Island to near the pyramids. Yeah, it just so happened that the Thule papyrus was found in an antique shop located in Cairo. How did the papyrus get its name? It gets its name from Alberto Thule, who was director of the, or was a, a director of the Egyptian section of the Vatican Museum. In 1933, Alberto Tuli visited Cairo and found the papyrus in an antique shop. So he bought the papyrus and donated it to the Vatican Library, and that's where it is now? Tuli thought it was too expensive even for the Vatican Library. He made a copy of the original that was for sale, which apparently the antique shop permitted. Apparently, he then recopied that to make a second copy. For a second copy, he replaced the original hieratic script with hieroglyphs. This led to doubt that the content of the recopy was authentic. I couldn't find out where the original that was in the antique shop ended up. It might be worth a lot of money, assuming it hasn't been destroyed. A hieroglyph is a symbol that looks like a picture. What is the difference between a hieratic script and hieroglyphics? Hieratic writing is cursive, while hieroglyphs consist of signs and symbols. Going back to the Vatican Library, wasn't it recreated for a movie a while back? What is in the Vatican Library? Yeah, the movie was Angels and Demons from the book by Dan Brown. Uh, the library has a massive collection of books, ancient and modern. It is open for visiting to anyone who can document their qualifications and reason for research. You can now access some of the content online. I think this is all a bit suspicious if the original papyrus was too expensive for Thule and the Vatican Library. Why was it for sale in an antique shop and not sold in a posh auction, unless the history of it was to be kept hidden? Also, why doesn't anyone seem to know where the Thule's recopy, now known as the Thule Manuscript, ended up? Apparently it didn't end up in the Vatican Library. Author Samuel Rosenberg contacted the Vatican in the 1960s. Apparently it wasn't there. Here's a quote from Gianfranco Noli, inspector of the Egyptian Vatican Museum. Quote, Papyrus Thule, not propriety of Vatican Museum. Now it is dispersed and no more traceable. Unquote. Another inquiry from Rosenberg went, at the, uh, went to the U.S. Embassy in Rome with the following reply. Quote, the current director of the Egyptian section of the Vacuum Museum, Dr. Noli, said that Professor Tuli had left his belongings to a brother of his who was a priest in the Lateran Palace. Presumably the famous papyrus went to the priest. Unfortunately, the priest died also in the meantime and his belongings were dispersed, dispersed among heirs. He may have, may have dispersed the papyrus as something of little value." Unquote. We'll have to continue talking about this and don't forget to like our Facebook page and we'll be right back after this short break. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. 
Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were talking about the Papyrus Thule and the Thule manuscripts. So, Dad, you just had a quote from when Rosenberg went to the U.S. Embassy in Rome. And what's your views on this quote? Yes, um, the, 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 um, the Vatican or the, the Egyptian section of the Vatican Museum uh, seemed to think that the uh, papyrus had ended up with one of um, Alberto Tulli's brothers. Uh, and there's a second story that one of Alberto's brothers, uh, Monsignor Augusto Tulli, with Alberto jointly discovered the manuscript in 1934, again in a Cairo antique shop. So at least one brother could have known its value. But irrespective of whether one or two brothers were involved, if the original or the copy or the re copy can't be found, how do we know what is written on the original or the copies? Apparently, there were two translations from the recopy. According to the website Infinity Explorers, they were completed independently. The translated were Egyptologist Prince Boris D. Rakiwiltz and anthropologist R. Cedric Leonard. Here's a quote from the translation by R. Cedric Leonard, quote, this is a difficult quote. I should have said that beforehand, so forgive me. Uh, so, quote, in a sixth hour of the third winter month of the year 22, the scribes of the house of life observed that from the sky came a strange disc of fire. I had no head. The breath of his mouth gave off a foul odor. His body had a rod of length and width. He did not utter a voice. He came to his majesty's house. His heart was confused when he saw it and they fell on his belly. He went to the king to inform him. His majesty ordered that the scrolls placed be consulted in the house of life. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply. Stop, stop, stop. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun, and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. His Majesty meditated on, the, on all these events that were happening. After several days, they became more numerous in the, in the sky than ever. They shone in the sky with even more force than the sun itself, stretching to the limits of the four supports of heaven. Powerful was the position of the discs of fire. The King's army watched with His Majesty in their midst. It was after the evening meal that the disc rose further into the sky to the south. Fish and birds then fell from the sky, a wonder never before lived since the founding of the country. And His Majesty caused incense to be burned to appease the heart of the Amon-Ra God of the two lands. And he ordered that the event be recorded for His Majesty in the annals of the House of Life to be remembered forever." Unquote. The common interpretation is that the disc of fire or, and the additional discs of fire in the translations were extraterrestrial spacecraft. The other translation by Prince Boris de Rakiwiltz was has a similar content, but Cedric Leonard's translation is easier to read and understand. When was this supposed to have happened? In ancient Egypt during the reign of Thutmose III, this the Pharaoh Thutmose III ruled for almost fifty years, fifty-four years rather. His reign is usually dated from April the 24th, 1479 BC to March the 11th, 1425 BC. So the events in the translations were supposed to have occurred about 3,500 years ago. Could the disc of fire be anything else? I couldn't find an alternative theory, but the entire story is controversial. There's both, both belief and non-belief in the story. This scenario of finding an expensive ancient papyrus in an antique shop in the 1930s and being allowed to copy it seems like something out of a movie script. Then the original copy and recopy all seem to have disappeared. 
but based on a previous episode for another uh, ancient civilization, extraterrestrial spacecraft being observed in ancient Egypt would not have been a unique occurrence. Let's switch topics. Our last mysterious writing is the Phaetus Dis, spelled P-H-A-I-S-T-O-S. It sounds Greek. Yes, it was found on the island of Crete in 1908, and it is made of fire, fired clay, and it is about 16 centimetres or about six inches in diameter. It was discovered by Italian archaeologist Luigi Pernier, who was looking for artefacts from the Minoan civilization. It is thought to be up to 4,000 years old. There was another episode with clay tablets, which mentioned the Minoan civilization and the island of Crete. That's correct, and, and not on purpose. I should mention that the island of Crete is between Turkey and Greece in the Aegean Sea and is the largest Greek island. The Minoan civilization flourished between 2600 to 1100 BC. What is known about the, di about the disc besides that it is smaller than a frisbee? There are hieroglyphics or sets of glyphs or symbols on both the faces. According to a Huffington Post article dated October the 28th, 2014, the meaning of some of the characters is now understood. Two academics have been working on a translation. Dr. Gareth Owens, a professor located in Crete, and Dr. John Coleman, a professor at Oxford University. Here is a quote from the article. Quote, the disc can be read in a spiral direction from the outside rim to the inside. Using what previous studies have shown about Cretan hieroglyphs, glyphics, and the scripts Minoan linear A and Mycenaean linear B from ancient Greece, the researcher was able to identify three key words. I-Q-E-Q-U-R-J-A, which may mean pregnant mother and or goddess. I-Q-E, which may mean mother and or goddess, and which appears repeatedly on the disc. And then I-P-E-P-A-G-J-E, or I-Q-E-P-H-A-E, which may mean shining mother or goddess. Owens concluded that the disc may contain a prayer to a Minoan goddess. Uh, unquote. There's a TED talk online by Dr. Owens on YouTube describing deciphering the symbols on the disc. So the disc isn't that mysterious. It was probably made as a prayer to a Minoan goddess. The disc being authentic is controversial. Uh, more people might think it is real now, but in a New York Times article dated July the 30th, 2008, there is some pretty outspoken content claiming that the disc is a fake. I will quote from the article, quote, in the current issue of Minerva, an art and archaeology journal, Jerome M. Eisenberg calls the famous Phaistos disc, thought to be a story or sacred text of unknown but ancient origin, a fraud. The flat circular clay disc is about six inches in diameter, and its purpose and stamped pictographic script have been the subject of scholarly, scholarly debate over the last century. Until now, most scholars believe that Luigi Pernier, an Italian archaeologist, excavated the Phaistos disc in Crete in 1908. Dr. Eisenberg asserts that Mr. Pernier created the disc himself because he was jealous of the accomplishments of archaeologists like Federico Haber, who had discovered the earliest legal code found in Europe in Crete in 1884 and Arthur Evans, who, who excavated a palace at Knossos, also in Crete. In the article, Dr. Eisenberg builds a case to prove the disc is forged using painstaking detail about its symbols, discovery site, and composition. He says that its cleanly cut edges and uniformity do not match up with the period's clay tablets, which were baked only by accident in the fires that destroyed ancient palaces. That the script remains impossible to translate, he added, bolsters the view that Mr. Pernier created it to outshine his contemporaries. At a conference in this fall in London, Dr. Eisenberg and scholars who defend the disc as authentic will discuss the artifact's origins face to face. Unquote. Wouldn't a partial translation suggest that the disc was in fact authentic? I would agree, but in another episode, clay tablets made by another ancient civilization around the same time were baked were not baked, but just dried. 
but Luigi Pernier created for if but Luigi Pernier creating a forgery that can be made sense of in terms of a prayer to a Minoan goddess would make for a very clever forgery. I think it's time to ask the first question. I will start with the Voynich manuscript and uh, here is the first question. Was the Voynich manuscript handwritten, handwritten by one person? With influence, yes. Is the Voynich manuscript genuine or a clever forgery created by Wilfred Voynich? Genuine. Can I ask anything about the person who wrote the manuscript? Yes, it was someone who had knowledge from far away. Can I ask where far away is? Not Earth. How old is the manuscript? Is it from the early 15th century as suggested by carbon dating? Around that time, yes. Who did Wilfred Voynich purchase the manuscript from? Basically, just from a random person who had it in their belongings, who did not see it as very important. Where was the manuscript hidden all the years before it was purchased by Wilfred Voynich? It was in some belongings, so it wasn't really hidden, but instead misplaced. Why did the Austrian book dealer who donated the manuscript to Yale University, I'm sorry, I'll say that, I'll ask the question again. How did the Austrian book dealer who donated the manuscript to Yale University get hold of the manuscript? Just by a transfer and handing down of possessions. What does Yale University know about the manuscript? Not too much about it. Basically a time period and small details about it, but no real picture of the manuscript has happened. Is the manuscript a message from extraterrestrial beings? Yes. Is the manuscript just an encyclopedia of nature? Yes and no. Not just nature on Earth, but includes other information. Is Professor Stephen Bax correct in that he has successfully deciphered the words for coriander, hellebore and juniper? So far, yes. Is the Russian Academy of Sciences correct in that the written language is English, German, as well as Italian, Spanish or Latin, with vowels and spaces removed? Partially, but it's also a mixture of even more ancient languages, which makes it even more complicated. Will the Voynich manuscript be translated in the future? If people put time into studying it, then yes. Why was the Voynich manuscript written? Basically, to predict the life of the planet and how to care for the life. So it's basically, you can think of it as a prediction that is real in the future. How important is it that it is translated? Pretty important. It's not a top message that should be translated, but it's up there on the list. Okay, changing the subject to Ronga Ronga writing. Is the Ronga Ronga writing associated with the collapse of the ancient Easter Island civilization? Yes. Where did the Easter Island people originate from when they populated the island? Basically, at that time, the Earth looked very different. So they came from the main continent, which you can think of kind of squished together, and came from modern day, more Middle East or Africa. The previous question assumed a sea crossing, but how did people travel vast distances to reach Easter Island? So basically, it wasn't too far for them to actually reach it, and they had different means of traveling, including obviously walking. Were the tablets made from the last trees that were on Easter Island before recent times? There were trees at one point, yes, but those trees were cut down and basically just couldn't survive there anymore. How did the tablets survive so long being made of wood? Because they were covered in a special substance. How old are the tablets? Basically, back to the 11th century. What caused the population of Easter Island to crash? They ran out of resources. Was that associated with changing climate? Yes. Are the tablets records from a civilization that was dying out? Yes. I think you need to take us into a break, Justina. Yes, after this short break, we'll continue with the questions and the psychic insight and go like us on Facebook under Too Good To Be True.
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we are going through the questions and the psychic insight. So, Dad, can you please continue uh, with the questions? Yeah, we were talking about uh, the tablets from Easter Island. Um, what are the tablets about? Basically about how they survived their basic survival. Was there a message in the tablets? Yes. Basically, it said how to keep civilizations alive and to put out the mistakes they made and what people could do in the future. How, how, impo how important is it that they get translated? At this point, technology has increased greatly. So the only importance really to translate them is to learn about ancients, about the ancient civilizations, since they all have keys about this ancient civilization and others. Is the book Collapse by Jared Diamond correct in its theory for the dying out of the civilization on Easter Island? Most of it, yes. Changing the subject to the Thule papyrus, was the original for sale in an antique shop in Cairo in 1933 or 1934 genuine? Yes and no. It was a copy, but it was an... Yes and no, it was a copy, but it was an exact copy. Did Alberto Tulli actually visit the antique shop in Cairo with his brother in 1934? Yes. What happened to the original papyrus or the exact copy of it? It was burnt. What happened to the copy made by Alberto Tulli of the manuscript from the antique shop? It's been hidden. What happened to the recopy made by Alberto Tulli of the manuscript? That was also destroyed. Why was the first copy made by Alberto Tulli hidden? Because of the information it contains. Why did Alberto Tulli turn hieratic script into hieroglyphs? Because the hieroglyphs unlock, basically, a lot of the secrets. So Alberto Tulli knew what he was doing? Yes. Are there sources of ancient texts that would change our views of already provided information if they were made public? Yes. Are the translations by Prince Boris de Reckiewilts and by R. Cedric or Cedric Leonard accurate? Not fully, no. Was the content of the papyrus from the reign of Thutmose III about 3,500 years ago? Yes. Were the discs of fire actually extraterrestrial spacecraft? Yes. Did extraterrestrials help the ancient Egyptians? Yes. Changing the subject to the Phytos disc, was the disc discovered on the island of Crete by archaeologist Luigi Pernier in 1908? Yes. Is the disc 4,000 years old? Yes. Are the partial translations by Gareth Owens and John Coleman correct that some of the characters mean mother or goddess? Yes. Is the disc a prayer to the Minoan goddess? 
In a way, yes, but not just for one goddess. Do the tablet characters have cleanly cut edges and uniformity that do not match up with the period's clay tablets? Yes. What happened during the conference in the fall of 2008 where opponents and proponents of the disc's authenticity debated whether the disc was a forgery? Basically, they decided that the disc may not be a forgery and that they needed further research on it and how it could have been made. Will the disc be translated in the future? Possibly. Is it an important translation? No. Are there other discs like this to be discovered? Yes. What is the point of all these objects with characters that are not fully translated? So language was not something that was so universal. So nobody was forced to learn a language or characters or even different groups that were near to each other had slightly different ways to write. So now it now seems like there are universal languages which most people speak, which obviously is usually English, at least in the United States. However, each language has its own symbols, characters, way of speaking it, way of reading and writing it. So the one message is that language is not universal and is not ever been totally universal. So it is important to learn different languages. So the languages such as, let's take Latin for example, not many people already know it and a lot of people in the future will probably not know it. So it is important to keep up with languages that are not completely spoken. Also, each of these has its own message. They range from messages that are very important that should be translated pretty quickly to messages that they were trying to communicate with different spiritual beings or goddesses they prayed to. And also the other message here is that with the original texts, they do last a long time. So that's why things like tablets or clay, or even if you think about the pyramids, the hieroglyphics last for a very long time because of what they were written onto. So let's put into mind into a society now that writes things on computers, which obviously can be destroyed, or paper, which obviously can be destroyed too. So it's important to remember for the future how to preserve the times and how to preserve what is being done and the lessons from today's society. I think this has already been mostly answered, but what can we learn from these writings? So again, it is to embrace other languages and cultures and to learn about them. So let's take this for example. Let's say that a whole society actually does know some type of ancient language and that the whole society culture won't be able to put their message forward since nobody in the future would actually know it, which would be an issue. So it's important to pass on the culture, the language, and basically how to read and write, even if it is not common languages. And also to make sure to preserve information in a correct manner. Take this for example. If there's only one copy of a book that is, that is destroyed, that information is gone forever. However, if there are 50 copies of the book, then the information is more preserved and that information will probably stay throughout time. Okay, thank you, Justine. And that was the final answer. Uh, is the Voynich manuscript a genuine document that was written with the assistance of an extraterrestrial influence too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. Is the content of the Thule papyrus genuine in documenting extraterrestrials visiting ancient Egypt 3,500 years ago too good to be true? That also depends on what you are prepared to believe. Wow, that was more to this subject uh, than I had ever expected. Starting with a Voynich manuscript, if the psychic insight is believed, then it is an important document that was written with the assistance of an extraterrestrial influence. Yeah, when starting the episode, I had no idea that the subject of extraterrestrials would pop up. Probably the more than difficult language used was intended to ensure that translation was only to be completed well into the future. Otherwise, why go to all the trouble of handwriting a book if you don't didn't want anyone to read it? I should add that it's rather incredible that just one original survived over the centuries now to be freely available on the internet. Changing the subject, the Rongo Rongo writing seems a little sad. It is ironic that the tablets were made out of wood with the trees disappearing. You didn't mention how Easter Island got its name. 
It was discovered by Dutch explorers on Easter Day in 1772, but something curious came from the psychic insight. Easter Island is 2,000 miles or 3,200 kilometers from the coast of Chile. Yet when the area was first inhabited, according to the psychic insight, the landmasses were all joined together. According to Wikipedia, the Earth's landmass land uh, split apart from a single landmass starting about 175 million years ago. That was well before the human race, Homo sapiens, started appearing. That was about 2 million years ago. So there's a major inconsistency between science and the psychic insight, uh, especially with a long plane journey from Santiago to Easter Island. Perhaps more hidden writings need to appear. The Thule manuscript took us back to ancient Egypt. We heard in another episode that we mentioned today a couple times that there is evidence of extraterrestrial visitation of another ancient civilization in the same time period. Yes, more on extraterrestrials, which I never expected. Yes, why visit one advanced ancient civilization, not another? So that would be consistent. I was surprised by the Thule papyrus. I'd expected a forgery, but at the same time, it appears that a, a new translation is needed for accuracy. But that would involve finding a genuine copy. Yes, you not only got us to Easter Island in this episode, but also to ancient Egypt. You must be pretty delighted. Yeah, the ancient stone figures on Easter Island and the Egyptian pyramids were only mentioned in passing. What is to say about the Fetus Disc? It is apparently genuine and includes a prayer or prayers to goddesses. I think it tells us more about ancient Minoan civilization and that not all ancient writings have important messages for mankind today. Also, if something looks like a little different from the, the expected, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a forgery. I suppose that means keeping an open mind and not judging a book by its cover or something in clay and how it's baked. We haven't thought about looking at writings from ancient Eastern cultures such as China or India. Apparently there is advanced technology included in them. Maybe we need to cover subjects other than ancient civilizations and their advanced technology. We are working on a listener suggestion for a future show. Yes, that suggestion is appreciated and the subject matter could lead us down some interesting paths. But that particular show is a little way into the future. Again, listener suggestions are appreciated and shout outs will be given if you want your name mentioned or if you don't want your name mentioned, whatever is preferred. And the shout out for the Halloween episode was only with the person's prior permission to having their name included. Don't hold back on suggestions. We thought we'd look at ancient writings today. Probably not an interesting subject to a lot of people, but look where we ended up. The more uninteresting might end up as the most surprising. Who knows? Well, again, if any of the listeners have listener suggestions, you can either comment on our Facebook page or message us on there. And that's Too Good To Be True on Facebook with the first two spelled T-W-O. And of course, thank you to all the listeners and stay tuned for next week's show. <laughs>